You're listening to a special Drishti Point podcast. I'm Farnas Raleigh, and I'm here with Marion McConnell, also affectionately known among her students and colleagues as Muggs McConnell. She's one of the founders of the South Okanagan Yoga Association. She's been teaching yoga since 1978 and practicing since 1973, so a long, long time dedicated yoga practitioner, and she was recently awarded the Queen Jubilee Award for her service to the yoga community. Welcome, Mux. Hi. <laughs> um, you know, I thought it would be so wonderful for our listeners just to hear a brief story of how you first came to yoga and, in particular, what inspired you to become a yoga teacher. Well, it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> life just takes us on a journey, and it's a lot easier sometimes to look back and see how that <laughs> unfolded so unexpectedly, and poof, here you are. But to me, it was really a very uh, karmic journey that was laid out before, you know, right at my time of birth, I was born into a family that absolutely were not yogis at all. And um, I had a very strong desire or attraction to ballet. And so they didn't let little people into ballet until they were five years old. But I think I bothered them so much they finally let me in when I was four. <laughs> <laughs> and I practiced ballet, which was the expression through my body, until I moved away and there was no ballet. So that was at the age of 14. But there was a gymnastics team, so I went into gymnastics. I, le I learned really soon that I did not like competition. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so um, when I moved back to BC, then I was exposed to yoga. I had a real desire at that time to learn how to meditate. I was 16 years old, and I really wanted to learn how to meditate, but I didn't know how. And that my neighbor just happened to introduce me to the yoga postures that I had no idea about. And I just fell in love with it. So that was back in 1903. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you, you first started to be introduced to the yoga postures, and were there any particular yoga teachers that were really influential in the beginning of your yoga journey? Uh, there were no yoga teachers at all where I was. I learned actually from Karine Zebroff's book, The ABCs of Yoga. And so <laughs> I, I worked for uh, five years with her book. Uh, in 1975, I moved to Vancouver to take, uh, to go to university to UBC. And I did come across an occasional yoga teacher there. So I was able to get my very first classes and learn how I wasn't necessarily doing everything properly from the book. <laughs> <laughs> so that was um, a blessing that I was able to come across teachers. Unfortunately, I can't remember their names, but I, I do remember that I was able to attend classes, casual classes with one at UBC and one... Um, off, off campus. And um, when was it that you decided to become a yoga teacher? While I was at UBC, I my love for yoga just grew and my practice was very, very dedicated. And that's really what I wanted to do. I felt like I was going to university because I was supposed to. And through my time at university, I developed really 
painful sciatica. And I went to many, you know, with the UBC hospital there, it was very easy to get treatment for it, but nothing was giving it relief. And so eventually a, a doctor there said, I think you should take some time off from all the sitting from classes and papers to type. So at that time, I decided to travel instead to Australia and when I was in Australia, I came across the International Yoga Teachers Association and they had a yoga teacher training. And that was the moment where I knew that I could actually become a yoga teacher because before that, it was just a dream. Mm-hmm. That must have been very exciting. Did you know at that time that it would it would be your life path? I didn't know it would be my life path, but I knew it was definitely my passion there, and that's what I wanted to do. You know, when you're young and you ask yourself the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? I knew I wanted to be a teacher, but it was then that I knew the kind of teacher I wanted to be was to be a yoga teacher. And so then I I really started to pursue that with great seriousness. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you've... You've devoted much of your life to yoga and were recently given the Queen Jubilee Award for your service to the community. It's obviously that it's a big part of your dharma, we could say, or your life purpose. What what advice do you have for people, and especially for yoga teachers who are really searching for their purpose and their dharma? Well, I think there's two things. One is to meditate on it. And if you don't know how to meditate, <laughs> then uh, it's easy, much easier today to get instruction on meditation than it was back when I was searching for the ability to meditate. And so take the time, the quiet time to go inward and, and ponder these, these goals or what your dreams are or your dharma your life's purpose and really meditate on it and be open to the possibilities we get a vision in our head what it is that we want to do with life but we we it doesn't always unfold in exactly that way and opportunities present themselves to us and we don't recognize them because we already have a set vision of what it looks like. So be open to all the possibilities as they unfold for us and don't be disappointed when things don't go exactly as you think they will because often there's another better thing waiting when you don't exactly get your way. <laughs> <laughs> So meditation and flexibility. That's right, exactly. And it's a wonderful journey, but it's not usually exactly how you expect it to unfold. There's so many things that open up to us like the petals of a flower. We don't really know what is waiting inside until we just be patient and watch and listen and, and um, see what the universe offers to us. Now, you seem to be uh, clearly speaking from experience. So was that the case with you, that there were things that were unexpected that came along and presented themselves to you or that were there? Um, obviously, you did meditate on this question for a long time. It didn't unfold for me at all as I had expected it to. When I was in Australia with the International Yoga Teachers Association in 1974, I guess it was, or 1975, it's hard to remember, <laughs> um, 
I had asked them if they could teach me, but their training happened sort of one weekend a month, and that wasn't very realistic over over a year. So uh, I pursued, I looked at the International Yoga Teachers Association branch in England, and then a beautiful lady there directed me to a man named Hari Dickman, Dr. Hari Dickman, in San Rafael, California. So I contacted him and asked him if he would teach me And he said he was too old to take on new students. He was 80 years old, but that I could communicate with him through letters and ask him any questions I wanted to. So I was disappointed with the answer. I wanted him to say, oh, yeah, come on down and I'll teach you. But he didn't. Mm -hmm. So through our letters, though, he helped me find uh, Swami Vishnu Devananda. So... In uh, 1978, I went and I studied with Swami Vishnu Devananda Mm -hmm. in the Bahamas, but I also stopped in San Rafael and met Dr. Hari Dickman on the way, and we just connected so deeply. It was wonderful um, for us to to meet in person because it just brought this relationship we had through letters to a new level. So I went and I studied with Swami Vishnu Devananda and I so valued the teachings that he had given me in the ashram in the Bahamas. I stayed there for two months and then worked in his centers in San Francisco, um, Hollywood, and then Montreal. And all that time communicated with my teacher, Hari. And eventually, Hari said, okay, now I will teach you. So he was older, he was, you know, at that time about 83, but I he wasn't teaching me from scratch anymore. He was teaching me from uh, a foundation where we were speaking to each other in Sanskrit terminology, and so he could really give me the deeper teachings, whereas when he turned me down the first time, I wasn't ready for him. Well, <laughs> an amazing amount of information uh <clears throat> he he taught me deeper practices, a lot of different things on meditation, pranayama. Swami Vishnu was a hatha yogi, so he really taught me so much in the yoga postures, whereas Hari took me to the other levels about uh, panchikarma and, um, and exposed me to where I could learn more and more of the deeper practices in pranayama. He was a yogi that studied from the yoga masters, Ramana Maharishi, Swami Shivananda, Paramahansa Yogananda, and uh, it was all through letters. So the letters from these yoga masters were our textbooks, and we would sit down with letters every day, and uh, he would say, okay, today we're going to talk about the values, and he was a a Latvian man and had a yoga society in Latvia before the Second World War in the 1930s so he had really devoted his life to yoga and was passing that those teachings on to me as much as he could in the time that he had left in his life that must have been such a special experience to um to have worked with him and be his student and to have had the opportunity to read the letters that that were a part of his his learning and his journey yeah, and the thing that's in letters that's so wonderful is the personal 
uh, aspect to it. So it's, yes, there's all these techniques that he would teach me from them, but it's the, the love of the gurus towards him, how Paramahansa Yogananda saved his life from being sent uh, well, he eventually got him out of a displaced persons camp and uh, brought him to United States and how Shivananda spoke so highly of him as the yogi of the West. And so there, the love and the personal aspects of those letters was so endearing too. But yeah, just it feels like you're um, well, I felt like I was in the midst of the masters as I studied with him because he was such a devoted yogi, for sure. And um, you must think of him often. You know, I, I know uh, my own relationship with my guru is that there's not a single day that I don't think of him as a result of um, how much he's been a part of my whole life is... Is that true for you in terms of your relationship with Mr. Harry Dickman? That's exactly true. I'm sure there's not a day that goes by that I don't feel his presence in my life and his and his love for me. It really was a wonderful, loving exchange of yoga together. And there was a day when I felt very sad where... I was so young, I was only 22 years old when I was studying with him, and I was lamenting the fact that, oh, if only I had been older and more mature, I would have taken more advantage of my time with him, and... Uh, just at that moment on the CBC radio, this young man came on who played in a symphony and he had learned from one of the masters who had passed away and he was lamenting the fact that he had never had the opportunity to play in a symphony with this master who had been teaching him. And then he said, I realized that I'm playing with him every day because he's just a part of me now. And that was the answer to my lamenting about being so young when I was with Hari is that he still teaches me every day. My yoga is with him every day. And so uh, it didn't end when he passed away. It continues all the way through. So... For sure, it's a very definitely something that becomes part of your spirit. Is there <laughs> is there any uh, <laughs> yoga book that you love to come back to, or is there any particular um, letter, maybe, or, or something that is very special to you that you like to read and reread again? Uh, there's both, actually. When I think of the yoga books, I, I have many of Hari's books that are out of print now. And, of course, they have all his fingerprints all over them, too. <laughs> so they're very special to me. But really, I love the Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. I love the teachings of the yoga of the mind. And so I teach that to my students uh, who study with me because that's life transforming. It helps us to cope with all of the things that get tossed in our path in life. So potentially Yoga Sutras. Uh, there's many beautiful letters written to Hari and Hari let me copy these letters. So uh, I had many notes from them, but I also have copies from them. And so 
One of the letters is from a yogi he had asked in the, in India, what is like to live in an ashram? And the yogi described to him, this was before the war, where he would walk up a path to a place where he meditated in the mountains in the Himalayas. And when he would meditate, the tigers would come and sit beside him and the other yogis in their meditation. So tigers were considered really ferocious animals, but when these fellows would sit there and meditate, the tigers would come and sit beside them in silence. Then when they would come back down the hill at night with their torches, the tigers would just let them go. Or if they ran into a tiger, a tiger would step to the side of the path. But if they ran into a panther, the panther wouldn't let them by. They had to put out their torches, step, torches, step to the side and let the panthers go by. So it was just really interesting the difference between uh, the relationship with the, the animals in the mountains uh, when they would meditate. I thought that was a really beautiful letter. Yeah. And there's so, yeah, and there's so many beautiful stories like that. Um, the love of Jesus that the yogis had even back then, how they honored uh, the teachings of Jesus. And so I savor the letters and I, I do hope within the next few years to have a book out on the letters, uh, from the masters to Hari so that other people can, uh, enjoy these delicious techniques and little stories as well. Oh, that's very exciting. Is that something that you're working on now? Yes, it is. I've, I've been, uh, working on it slowly, chipping away at it, and there's hundreds and hundreds of letters, so it, some part of it is a challenge of which ones to include, but I do hope to have letters on meditations from the masters and pranayama techniques and then some of these beautiful, delicious stories as well, because they're, they're just wonderful. Now, you know, one of the, your stories reminds me of, um, in the Yoga Sutras, the result of practicing ahimsa is that no living being feels threatened in your presence. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about ahimsa and what it means to you personally to practice ahimsa. It's very important to practice ahimsa, and I think it's the foundation for all of our actions. And it's difficult. It's a challenge because life throws things at us all the time that we have a tendency to react to, myself included. So I, I really try to use ahimsa as that foundation. And one of the things when I wake up in the morning, uh, one of the first things I like to start my day with is a little saying, I am a spirit expressing myself through form. How would I like to express myself today? So I don't want to express myself through anger. <laughs> That's right. Or violence. So th that was one of the things that uh, Hari also taught me is he was so loving and kind and gentle that, you know, when you speak of uh, washing the feet of your guru, I would have happily done that for him because he was such an expression of love and kindness. And in the Gita, it expresses to us that we must do right action. Our actions in this life should be right actions or righteous actions. And we're given the path of action with love. 
if our actions are founded in love, and there's nothing better than that. So when we make a mistake, um, admit it. Try to make amends to that mistake. Apologize to the person. Admit when we're wrong. Have patience with our students and, um, and treat our students with love because without our students, we don't have anything to give away <laughs> as yoga teachers. So that's a very strong foundation to me as a yoga teacher. I really want to have that patience and love and it always makes my heart light. It's, uh, it's very, Beautiful to hear you speak of um, the example of the love of Hari. It's yeah. very clear from um, how you speak about him. Uh, I can get a sense of how much love he had in his heart. Yeah, he really he really was an incredibly loving man, and I'm so grateful for that example of patience and kindness extended towards me, because without that, um, I wouldn't have that same example on my journey. Not all teachers express that towards their students, and so that's something that was a huge, huge lesson that he taught me. Uh, if I can just tell you another little story, when I was with him, uh, we would he would always bring out a bag of M and M's because. <laughs> <laughs> so when we studied philosophy, he always wanted to eat chocolate. He said there was very little in his life to keep him in this body anymore. So the best things in life were uh, letters on yoga or a good yoga book and chocolate and. So- <laughs> He came to me and he brought me his bag of M&M's. And I said, what are you doing? You can't give me your chocolate. And he said, I don't need them anymore. And so the next day when I got up, he had passed away. So he brought me his chocolate once he realized that he was going to leave his body. And um, and that was his way of telling me I was too naive and too young to get it. But... Now I always try to have M&Ms on my altar. <laughs> That's my prasad now in honor of the beautiful teachings Ari. So Oh, loves your um <clears throat> your words are really reminding me of, of uh, my teacher too and the the incredible and immense love that um if you find a teacher like that that can bless your life. Um, I thought I would um, ask you also, because you've been serving the yoga community for such a long time, if you could maybe um, speak about what you see as the biggest challenge facing the yoga community in America and maybe your hopes for where you would like to see yoga... um, what are your hopes for the yoga community here in the West? Well, every day offers us challenges, Farah. Um, and so the most important thing, I think, is to start your day with meditation, mantra, connecting to the divine, so that that's the seat that you come out into your day from, from that deep inner quiet and connection. That yoga, because the yoga is the union with the divine. And and I think that makes a big difference for me 
to keep the perspective, even the greatest of yogis have had challenges in this world of getting swept up in the values, the material values, uh, Swami Shivananda's uh, universal prayer asks to free us from lust, anger, greed, hatred, and jealousy. And those are real obstacles that we are constantly faced with. We need to be paid in order to be able to afford to share the yoga t- teachings. I think the world is very, very fortunate today that there are so many good yogis and good yoga teachers out there. But it's a balance for us all to not get greedy. You know, it is, we're in the world of opposites because it's the manifested world. So where there is generosity, there is also greed. Where there is love, there is hatred. Where, you know, there is lust, you know, there is that freedom and peace. But we are always in a dance with both sides of it. And so it's important for us not to lose sight of our goals as we go on the path of yoga and share it with others. Um, I know from my teachings from Eric Schiffman, he said we are the yogis of today. And so if we are the yogis of today, we really want to pass on those sacred teachings of love and caring and honoring the spirit within and to when we find ourselves faced with those negative qualities of anger and greed and jealousy of other teachers to come back to the spirit, to move into our mantra or meditation to help us overcome those obstacles so that we stay in tune with the goals. So to me, that's really important because we are bombarded with material advertising and that there's always a better yoga studio, a better teacher, a better this, a better that. And to stay humble on the journey. Just stay humble, stay true to the teachings, and um, and the students will find you, I believe. Well, that's a, a beautiful way to, to bring our interview to a close is your um, advice on how to stay grounded in in the essence of who we are um, amidst this world. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else you'd like to add? I I think that's everything, Farah. It's really wonderful to have a chance to connect with you. I hope the clarity comes through fine as I'm sitting here in warm Mexico preparing for our next teacher training here. And um, I'm just filled with gratitude of the work that you do to share. Oh, and I also wanted to say the South Okanagan Yoga Association is now known as the South Okanagan Yoga Academy just due to a shift in in uh, the process about seven, eight years ago. Oh, so, great. um yeah, but thank you so much, Farah, for uh, all of your work in sharing yoga and uh, bringing teachers to um, to the airwaves so that other people can hear them. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Muggs. It's been wonderful to connect, and uh, I hope that we have the opportunity again. Me too. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.